Well, hello, church. We have an incredible God. We have a savior who is sufficient. We have his perfect word and we're so blessed today to have his spirit guide us through it. We are continuing our series, the 23rd, and today we're looking at Psalm 23, verse 4. This is a very famous psalm, as we've spoke of in the previous weeks, and I think this verse, verse 4, is probably the most famous verse in this very famous psalm. It runs so deep in meaning. And whether you are reading the words for the first time or you're reading these words for the 1,000th time, they're able to hit you in a new and incredible way and, and speak so closely to where you are right now. You might have read these as a child, and now you might read them as an adult, but yet they still have so much meaning. They can relate to you so personally. I hope you've continued to memorize and been trying to memorize this psalm. It's been such a blessing to me as I've been memorizing it and saying it over and over again. It's such an incredible blessing. I need that constant reminder. I think all of us do. We need this constant reminder that the Lord is my shepherd. And remember what he has done for me. Uh, so every week we've been doing a little bit of a call and response. We're going to continue in that. I'm going to ask Gayla to come forward, and she's going to read the response part, and that's what you're going to follow along in. I'm going to read uh, the first uh, part of it. Uh, so if you want to stand with us, we're going to read through every line of this psalm. I'll read the psalm, and you read the response. Last week we thanked God after every line for who he is and what he has done. And, and, and this week we're going to be declaring in response to God who we are because of who he is. And so let's read this together and then I will pray. The Lord is my shepherd. I am part of the flock of God. I shall not want. I have no more needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I am fed by his word. He leads me beside still waters. I am led calmly. He restores my soul. I am renewed in his grace. He leads me in paths of righteousness. I am led in righteousness. For his name's sake. I am secure in his glory. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I am calm in crisis. For you are with me. I am never alone. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I am disciplined in love. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I am peaceful through trials. You anoint my head with oil. I am anointed with grace. My cup overflows. I am abundantly blessed. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I am filled with the goodness and mercy of God. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I am destined for glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we repeat this needed phrase in our lives, God, that the Lord is my shepherd. Lord, thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for laying us down by green pastures, God. Lord, thank you for being with us, Lord. Lord, thank you that there's nothing we need to fear because you are with us. 
Lord, be with us now. Holy Spirit, teach us your word. We so desperately need you, Lord. We need the comfort of your rod and your staff, Lord. We need the comfort and the security that comes with your presence. So, Lord, be with us, Lord, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Each week in this series, we're going back to that opening line of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Everything in this psalm depends on that truth. Again, I'll say this every week. Everything in this psalm depends on the truth that you are able to say with all sincerity of heart, the Lord is my shepherd. Is he your shepherd? Can you say that? Do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you feel the presence of God with you? Have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Then you can say in your heart and with all sincerity, the Lord is my shepherd. And each week we've had three points that are true because the Lord is my shepherd. So let's look at our points for today. We have a lot to get through today in verse 4. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I can be calm in crisis. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I can be calm in crisis. Look at the text. Look at these sweet words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Before we get so far into this one verse, we have to stop after the second word. Even though. Even though. What a beautiful phrase. What beautiful two words. Before we look at the valley, before we look at everything else, just stop with me. Park the bus right here at even though. Because what words could so concisely sum up The confidence, the boldness, the trust, the resolve, the maturity, the godly determination, then the phrase, even though. That we would be able to say, in the face of all the evil of the world, in the face of all the danger, in the face of everything coming our way, even though I see all of this, I will trust in God. Even though all of this is coming my way, I will not fear. If only we would use these two words as the psalmist has decided to use them more often. When trial, when suffering, when conflict comes our way, when temptation comes our way, to be able to say with all calmness, even though, even though, If we did this, church, we would never forego the blessing that God has in store for us. Listen, this is so applicable. These two words are so applicable for us every single day. Church, we need to say these words more often because they apply to us right now. Every situation we go through, there's a temptation to act in an ungodly way. How about this? How about this, husbands? In the way that we talk and speak to our wives. Or wives, in the way we show honor and respect to our husbands. How about this? Even though you are not treating me the way you're supposed to, I will do what I'm called to do in the Lord. What powerful words we can say right now in our marriage. How about this? The way that we act towards those who hate us. Even though... They hurt me badly and they 
injure me badly, I am going to love my enemy and trust that God will seek out justice. Even though, even though this is coming my way. How about when we act, how about the way we act when we see an opportunity for ungodly gain? Even though, even though, even though this money that I could receive would pay off all my debts, it it does not honor the Lord, so I will not receive it. I will not take it. How about the way we act when we think no one is watching? When temptation comes our way and we think we can get away with this, even though no one sees me do this, even though I can get away with this, I won't because I know that the Lord sees me. It is him who I am seeking to please. The the ability to look at any situation that is before you and say, even though, it's a powerful way of keeping our flesh in check with this and to keep the Spirit's will in our lives, to make sure that you're staying on the path of righteousness that we explored last week. Even though, even though, even though, we should be known as people who say that a lot. Even though, even though, because it's really a commentary on our heart's integrity, isn't it? It can expose quickly to others that we will not be compromised by the desires of the flesh and the pursuits of this world. It calmly removes you from conversations that are scheming and evil at their core. When someone comes up to you and you keep saying, hey, that looks really great, even though it looks great, I won't do it because it dishonors the Lord. They stop asking you those questions. They stop inviting you to those parties. Even though that sounds wonderful, I will not. I will not. Be known as an even-thoughter. Even though I am offered the world, I will not give up my Jesus. Even though. Even though. But don't say these words unless you know it to be true in your heart. You know, someone in scripture who said these words and kind of ate them a little bit later was Peter. Do you remember this story? Jesus is explaining to his disciples, he's saying, you know, when the, sh- when the shepherd falls, the sheep are going to scatter and, and, and Peter stands up in all this self-confidence you know, really thinking a lot of himself, really thinking highly of his own faith, he says, Jesus, even though the rest of them will fall away, I will not. And Jesus says to him, actually, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Peter was tested on the genuineness of his words, and he failed in that moment. Of course, there's forgiveness but we must know this in our heart. And, and listen, church, we can have the boldness to be able to say, just as the psalmist did, as we face this terrible world and all the things coming at us and all the temptations, we can have the boldness to say, even though, but only if our boldness and certainty is in Jesus Christ and not ourselves. Peter was not listening to Christ's words. He depended on himself. There's so many sweet stories uh, around this psalm throughout history, and there was these two young women. There's these two young Scottish women in Edinburgh in 1681. Their names were Isabel Allison and Marion Harvey. Two young women. I believe Isabel was only about 20 years old. She was a bit of a rebellious teenager, but she came around to these outdoor preaching um, services and she came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. 
And at the time, religion was very tied uh, to state, very, very closely. And they believed that uh, in the Anglican Confession, that uh, the king or the queen is the head of the church. And she said, no, Jesus is the head of the church. And to them, this was heretical and punishable by death, by hanging. So she stood before her and this other young woman, Marion, and they were found guilty. And they were sentenced to death by hanging on January 21st, uh, 1681. They said, even though, even though I could save my life, I'm not going to give up my Jesus. Even though. Borum, uh, Reverend Borum, he, he, in his book, In Green Pastures, he recalls the story of them very well. And he writes this. On that day, they emerged from their cell and were told to walk across the yard to the gallows to the far end. Miriam says to Isabel, come on, Belle, we can't walk in silence. This is our great day. Let us sing. And they began singing on their walk. The Lord is my shepherd. I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me in quiet waters by. As they neared the scaffolding, they sang triumphantly, Yea, though I walk in death's dark veil, yet, I, yet will I fear no ill. For thou art with me, and thy rod and staff comfort me still. And as they were standing there on that fatal podium, they concluded their duet. Goodness and mercy all my life shall surely follow me, and in God's house forevermore my dwelling place shall be. Even though death is the conclusion, even though, even though this is what's going to happen to me, I will not give up my faith in Jesus Christ. Even though you offer me the world, I will not follow you there. Verse 4 continues with this incredible imagery of the parts of life we all walk through at times. Tell me, how, how could the most difficult and painful and evil parts of life be better described than with these words, the valley of the shadow of death? I don't think they can be matched in any literature throughout history. We don't know when this psalm was written exactly, obviously during David's life, but we, we have no indication of exactly when he wrote the psalm as a young boy, middle-aged or older man, but... Just, so this is just my opinion, but given the depth of the psalm, given the imagery and the incredible truth it holds in only these six verses, it would seem to me that he was an older man writing these words. A man that had walked through many valleys. A man that had seen uh, God bring him through so many times. A man who had fallen but had been comforted by his shepherd. Either way, either way, these amazing truths are true for us. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So what is the valley of the shadow of death? What is it? Well, a valley, as I'm sure you know, is, is, is made because on each side there's mountains, Right? There's mountains on each side of a valley. And in the low part between the mountain range, way down deep, where there's more vegetation and it's harder to find your way, there's, the view is very limited. And, and the mountains next to you seem unbearably large. 
There's not much daylight in the valley because the horizon of the mountains takes up most of the sun. And so they cast a large shadow most of the day. The psalmist writes that the shadow in this valley is being cast upon him by the mountain of death. It's always there. It's a reminder that death might be forgotten for a few hours in the day when the sun is shining between the peaks. But sure enough, we will be reminded again that the shadow of death is upon us. It's not long until we'll have that shadow cast down into the valley again and we're reminded of death. I love the wording here, though. I love the wording. He says, the shadow, the shadow of death. This reminder that death is there, but for the believer in Jesus Christ, I can tell you, if you're following the good shepherd, death is only but a shadow. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54, we see that death has no sting. For the one not following the shepherd, death has sting. But if you are following the shepherd, the good shepherd, if you are following Jesus Christ, death now is but a shadow. It's but a shadow. It has no sting over us. And this is why. And this is why, because we have nothing to fear. Because we have nothing to fear. Death has been defeated. It's only but a shadow. And the psalmist writes, of course, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I will fear no evil. Who can say this? Who can say this? The one who is never alone. And our second point is this, because the Lord is my shepherd, I can be never alone. I can be never alone. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For you are with me. I'm never alone. My shepherd is with me. He's with me in the valley, in the dark places of uncertainty, where most would be fearful, but not me, because my shepherd is with me. This is what casts out fear, the presence of the Lord. The mountain of death may look large, but when we are with the Lord, there is nothing to fear. The mountain of death might look overwhelming, but when we're in the shepherd's arms, it's but a foothill. It's deeply personal. It's deeply personal. The Lord being with me. Look at, look at the text closely. Do you, do you notice something that changes in this line? Something, something switches in the way that he's writing here. And it can be obvious to all of us. Look, look at the text. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, for you are with me. This is the first time in this psalm that he is addressing directly to the Lord. In the first three verses, he is just saying, he, 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 he has 
laid me down. He has uh, 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 led me uh, to still waters. He's led me in paths of righteousness. He restores my soul. But then there's this, there's this switch in the fourth verse here where he says, you are with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He's completely confident in the presence of the Lord. It's not just this abstract theological thought of what the Lord may or may not do or can do, that he is a shepherd. No, 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 no. It's personal. He is with me. He knows that anything he faces, anything he goes through, that the Lord is beside him, that the Lord is going before him, and that the Lord has protection of his back. There's an incredible confidence that comes from knowing that the Lord is with you. Church, if you know that the Lord is with you, you will have no fear. Because he has defeated Satan, sin, and death. Death no longer has sting on us. And we have confidence because we have the presence of the Lord in our life. And God knows that we need this truth. The Lord knows that, that us weak, mortal humans, we need this truth and this reassurance of his presence. And that the only way that fear will be cast out of our lives is if we know that he is with us. He knows this, and this is why he continually reminds us throughout scripture that he is with us. In Joshua 1.9, in this very famous verse as well, it says, I have, not, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In Deuteronomy again, it says, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Be comforted by these words. In Psalm 46 verse one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. How about this, this verse, which is incredible. Like, do, you, do you think that the Lord ever leaves your side? How about Romans 8.38? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And from the very lips of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in Matthew 28.20, 20, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's mission, to be with you. He seeks after you, he will never let you go. You can confidently not be fearful of this world because you know that God is with you, always, full stop, you are never alone. And is this not the meaning, is this not the very meaning of his own name, Emmanuel? God with us. God with us. That God sent his son to earth to be with us. To pay our price on the cross. To shed his blood so that we could be saved. So that now we can be reconciled with the father. That we are now, can be with God. This is his plan. This is his goal. This is even his name. God with us us. He's with you in joy. Don't neglect to rejoice and thank the Lord when life is going well. When the sun is shining in between death mountains 
and we're enjoying ourselves, don't forget to praise the Lord and thank him. He is with you then. He's with you in heartache. Don't neglect to run to the comforting arms of the shepherd when your heart is broken. You are not alone in your sorrow. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He is with you when people hate you. The Lord Jesus says in John 15, verse 18, that if the world hates you, just remember, it hated me first. He's with us in this as well. He's with you in temptation. Hebrews 4, 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He sympathizes with us. He is with us. He has gone through this as well. You are not alone. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we see that in every temptation, God is not only in control, but he will provide a way of escape for us. He is with us. He's leading us. Would you lean into him? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Do you know that the Lord is with you? Truly, truly. Can you say with all confidence? Can you say with all integrity? The Lord is with me. You, oh God, are with me. If that is true, then we, then we really should be without fear. Because the presence of the Lord drives out fear. Is that not what David is writing here? I will not fear. Why? Why is his fear no more? For you are with me. What is there to fear if the Lord is with us? Another way of asking this question, uh, do you know the Lord is with you, is by asking it like this. Is there anything you fear? Is there anything you fear? Search your heart. Is there anything you fear? What keeps you up at night? What, what, what decides how you will go about your life? What fears are there that you're allowing to control your fruitfulness in Christ? I think all of us at times, we, we have fear. We fear death. Maybe we fear losing everything. Maybe we fear for the safety of our children or our loved ones. But, but let me tell you this. This fear of the future, this fear of the unknown does not come, up, come from a place of knowing that God is with us. It doesn't. It doesn't. Fear simply does not come from a place of knowing that God is with us. The whole world right now is, is shut down in fear of a disease. In fear of a disease. But who will we be as a church? Who will we be as a church? Will we walk in fear? Or will we know that God is with us? Listen very carefully to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that 
having no fear because you know that God is with you means you act rashly. No, having the Lord with you means we act wisely. That we act wisely. It means that the decisions we make in our lives, the way we go forward is not based on fear, it's based on wisdom. The Christian doesn't act in fear, the Christian acts in wisdom. This is the way forward for us, because the Lord is near. I'm so thankful that you're here today. I think it's so important that we gather. I know right now it's impossible, and for, for, for so much of our church that is at home right now, I know, I know. I'm not saying that staying at home is, is a fearful thing. That's not, that's not at all what I'm saying, and I, and I want you to hear this very, very carefully. There's good reasons to be at home right now. There's very good reasons. In wisdom, walking forward, I'm, maybe because of your age or because of your health conditions, it, maybe because you live with someone who's older and you're doing it out of love for them, great reasons. That's wisdom, walking in wisdom. But we don't make decisions in fear. We don't make decisions in fear. We make decisions in wisdom. We make decisions based on the fact that the Lord is with us and that we do not fear the shadow of death. We do not fear the shadow of COVID. We don't fear any of that. Whatever the Lord would have for us, we walk in wisdom, we, we go by his leading, but not in fear. Definitely not in fear. As a believer in Jesus Christ, what do you have to fear? What do you have to fear? I think there are people who are walking in fear. And what you need to hear is that the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. I would love to see more of our church come out, if possible. And if you need to stay home, make sure it's for wisdom, not fear. But I can reassure you of this. Coming here, we have so many safety precautions going on here. If you have screaming kids, bring them, okay? That's okay too. Don't fear that we're going to be upset about that. I'd rather see kids cry than no kids at all. I got three crying kids at home all the time. It's okay. But make your decision out of the knowledge that God is with you, not out of fear of the future. This is how the Christian moves forward. His love casts out fear. We must put truth up to our fears. All of us have fears. But we must put truth up to the fear. We must put the presence of God in my life up to fear. Combat your fear with the presence of God. King David is able to say, I will fear no evil because he knows the truths of verses 1 through 3 and he knows that God is with him. You see, verse 4 here, it's really an application of the truth. It's an application of all of the knowledge that we've learned in verses 1, 2, and 3. He knows that the Lord is his shepherd. He knows it. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows that he shall not want. God will always provide. He knows that the Lord will make him lie down in green pastures. He will be fed by the word of God. He knows that he's led beside still water, calmly led by the Holy Spirit. His soul will be restored because that's what the Lord does. 
He will lead us in paths of righteousness. He's given us Jesus Christ. We have the path to righteousness, and all of this is secured because of his namesake for his glory. And since we know all of that truth, what happens next? Does it stay up here? No, it gets applied to our heart and moves out through our hands. Because now we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and we need to know these truths about our God so that we know he is with us and because he is with us, we fear nothing. We will look around and see the shadow of death and fear absolutely nothing because we know that we are not alone. What a terrifying thought, though. What a terrifying thought is the shadow of death for those who do not have Christ. What a terrifying world this would be to not have Christ. Some have tried to convince themselves that God is someone he is not. That all the sin I will not be judged for, God is just accepting of all of it and we are okay. And they've tried to convince themselves that the shadow of death, this valley they're walking through, it doesn't matter. Some convince themselves that God doesn't exist at all. They go through life believing that death is inevitable and that we're all going to die and there's nothing after. But what I've found is that these people grow more bitter in their old age. And not willing to admit it, they have a constant tug from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin. But all those who do not know the shepherd will fear. The word of God says that eternity has been put onto our heart. That's in Ecclesiastes 3.11. And that, that really should change for the believer the way we look at this broken world. As people hate us, as people revile us, as people sin against us, we see that they're actually walking in fear because they do not have the presence of the Lord. Hopefully it leads us to compassion. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Look at this next part. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I can be delighted in discipline. Delighted in discipline. Discipline gets a, a bad rap in our day and age. But discipline's a very good thing. The presence of the Lord and him being by our side has tangible meaning tangible meaning. It's not just a state of mind or a pithy statement to give us a sense of reassurance for a moment, but for us who walk with the Lord beside us, we feel the use of his rod and his staff. As we saw a few weeks ago, the Lord makes us lie down in green pastures. This is where we are fed and refreshed by the word of God. And I can see how the scripture encourages us by pouring, us, pouring out to the believer and it gives us comfort. We also saw the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives as he leads us by still waters and this calming hand held that is ever present with God. He is with us. And here again, we see the word of God and the spirit of God working together, but in a different but equally comforting way. The rod of the shepherd was for um, beating off attacks. He had a tool belt and he would keep a couple things in his hands, but his, his, his rod would be for um, knocking out the enemies, the, 
the predators that would come into the fold, that would try to take one of the sheep. He would use his rod to protect the flock. And this is both the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit protects us, and the Word of God enables us to defend the faith. There's nothing the Lord does not have in his control. He fights for us and he wins for us. Any attack on the church is only used by God to glorify his name more, but he always will protect his own. The enemy will not overcome us, and the Lord will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is comforting to know that we have on our side the God of the universe, isn't it? He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me, and his rod definitely should comfort us, that we are under the protection of God. And we see the staff of the Lord. We see the staff of the Lord, the crook of the shepherd, the stick with the big uh, curve at the top. And the shepherd would use his staff to pull the sheep out by the chest, out of the thicket or um, away from a cliff or whatever was needed, out of danger. He'd pull the sheep back in to keep them close. And we see how the Holy Spirit does that by bringing us back, how the word of God convicts us and brings us back. See, the Lord calls you and loves you so much that he directs your steps. And when we step too close to the ledge, he brings us back that we may not fall. When we look over to the left or we look over to the right, to other pastures and we're enticed by them, the good shepherd is so kind to discipline us because he knows what's best for us and what we need, just as a father and a mother would do to their child. When we do run off, when we do rebel, just like the prodigal son, to go live a life of sin, he still calls us back. He uses his staff of discipline to call us back. Now, do you remember in the story of the prodigal son, how the Lord brought him back? Do you remember this? What happened? When did, when did the prodigal son realize he needed to go home? When he was brought low. He went to spend his inheritance to, to live this life of sin and luxury, but the funds ran out, and sure enough, he was eventually sleeping with the pigs. Was the Lord in control? Absolutely. Did the Lord want to bring him home? Absolutely. What was the kindest thing the Lord could have done to continue him in success in living in sin? Absolutely not. The kindest thing the Lord could do for the prodigal son was make him go so low that he was even sleeping with the pigs so that he would realize that he needed to come home. The staff. The staff of discipline bringing home the son. And once the son realized, why am I here? I could go home and be with my father. He did, and he ran home. The Lord disciplines the one he loves, it says in Proverbs 3.12. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. It is very loving of the Lord to do what is ever necessary to take us away from our flesh to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to allow us to see, maybe, just to see the death that sin brings, but to not experience it. He disciplines us because he loves us, and so we can delight in it. 
I've prayed this prayer for myself many times. And in fact, I've prayed it for others. But Lord, if I ever stray, if I ever run off, if I stray away from you, and since my heart is so prone to wander, Lord, please, please let my life be miserable. Bring me low in my sin that I will not, so that I would come back to you. I've prayed this very prayer with parents right at the front here whose children have run off and tried to, and wanted to live a life of sin. I said, let's pray that the Lord would bring them low so that he'll bring them home. We should delight. We should delight in the discipline of our Lord. The Lord was so kind to do this for me. In my late teens, I ran from the presence of God to pursue what I thought was going to be enjoyable. The Lord was kind enough to me to not let me enjoy it for very long. He brought me low. Praise God. Because where I thought I would find pleasure, I only found pain. Where I thought I would find fullness, I only found emptiness. What the world had to offer was all lies. And I got so low, I got so low after months of inner anguish and suppressed depression in my own heart. I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I didn't know what the answer was, but I knew I was so far from where I wanted to be, but I didn't know where it was that I wanted to be. He restored my soul. His rod and his staff were such a comfort to me. He disciplined me. He wrapped his loving arms around me. I went home and I was still in this place and I found a Bible that I had since I was like eight years old. Sitting in my desk, hadn't been opened in years. And I opened it and I found comfort in his words. And he disciplined me and he brought me home. This is what the Lord does to the ones he loves. And I'm so thankful that he brought me so low. I often think back to that time and I thank the Lord that he did not allow me to continue in my sin, that he did not let me enjoy this world for too long. But instead he brought me low and then he brought me home with his staff of discipline. Church, we can be calm through crisis. We can be calm through crisis. With everything going on in the world right now, the calmest place on earth should be in the church. Because we, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Because Lord, you are with us. Your rod and your staff, God, they're such a comfort to us. We know that we're never alone and we delight in his discipline. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that you are with us. Lord, what confidence we have because the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Good Shepherd is right with us as we walk through this valley, this shadow of death. As we walk through the valley of sickness and hurt, and uncertainty, Lord, you are with us, Lord, and 
That's the only place we will find comfort, in your presence. Lord, would you cast out the fear that we have, Lord, and would you allow us to rely solely on your presence? Lord, that goodness and mercy would follow us all the days of our lives. We thank you for your grace. Teach us, Lord. Teach us and show us your presence. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.